Okay, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. We're looking at verses 4 and 5, the greeting uh, to the book of Revelation. Revelation 4 and 5. Or Revelation 1, verses 4 and 5. In our series, Reveal. And the beginning of every New Testament book, if you would just read the first couple paragraphs at the beginning and the last couple paragraphs in the conclusion, you would capture every major theme in, in, in how these letters are written. And it's true even in this greeting. And so we've been talking about hoarding provisions, about being doomsday preppers. And in the physical world, no matter how much you hoard, we said last week, you can never hoard enough. Why? Because we are, we are not, we don't have an endless supplier. Uh, your, your money is gonna run out. We were talking about this even at lunch, uh, yesterday with some of the guys that were working and, and at lunch, we were just talking about how, how far are you gonna go with gas? How, 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 you know, when is that gonna run out? And the bottom line is we don't have an endless provision of resources. And even if you hoard a lot, you always got to hoard more bullets than beans. Because then you got to protect what you're hoarding from the people, from the walking dead, apparently, is going to be our greatest threat. I don't know. But as Christ followers, we have something far greater than a global crisis of material things. We have the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. And so the, the, the point of last week and this week is spiritual preppers. That's what we need to be. We maximize their spiritual provisions until the big reveal. If you want to be prepped and ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ, then you need to maximize the spiritual provisions that God has given to you. And we said in verses 4 through 5, we have the typical greeting with kind of some differences in there, Christian differences, the writer, the addressees, the greeting, and the senders. Well, today we're going to focus on the senders because ultimately the book of Revelation and our spiritual provisions are not coming from anybody human. It's not coming from the Apostle John. It's ultimately from, from him. And so what's the big idea this morning? Ready or not, he's coming. So maximize your spiritual provisions. You have them. If you're a believer this morning, you have them. Now maximize them. And last, last week we said that uh, there were two ways to maximize your provisions. First, you got to use your provisions to the max. And we looked at that last week. Use your provisions to the max. John, look at verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace. And we said in that, there's three provisions. The first being what? The grace of God. The grace of God. Secondly, the peace of God. You can't have... The peace of God until you've received the grace of God. But the third resource is what? The church of God. Where do you get grace and peace? Granted, He saves us as individuals. And each of us as an individual must receive for ourselves the grace and peace, the provisions that God has for us. But, but, the place that He bestows those, the place that you're going to maximize those is in a local church. And so he says, John, to the seven churches, grace to you as you gather and assemble, peace to you as you come together. We said that these churches 
are imperfect, perfect representations of imperfect churches like ours. Perfect representations of imperfect churches like ours down throughout history. You'll always find these seven kinds of churches in history with these seven kinds of imperfections. In fact, the only one of the seven churches that doesn't have a critique, a a criticism from the risen Christ is the church of Smyrna that is the suffering church. Because suffering has a tendency to purify and to make us more like Christ. And so what he's saying here is simply this. God's church provides us with the place to receive his provisions. And some you might say, well, are you saying that I can't be saved apart from a local church? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you can't grow apart from a local church. You won't maximize the grace that God has for you, the peace that God has for you. And so we should, therefore, use the local church God has provided to the max. How? By sharing those provisions of grace and peace with one another. See, the sad thing is, when it comes to a world crisis among the world, Everybody's going to hoard for themselves, and they're going to have a gun there to make sure no one gets those resources. And you know what? Sometimes we do that in the church. We're like, hey, you know, this, I'm in it for me, and I don't have anything for you. I don't have any responsibility to you. When, in fact, we're to share grace and peace with one another. Okay? So when somebody steps on my toes, what do I do? I share grace with them. I seek peace with them the way God shared grace with me. And sought peace with me. So, that's what we looked at. But, here's the thing about today. You'll never max out your spiritual provisions without knowing your spiritual provider. You've got to know your provider to the max. And we see that. Because look look in verses 4 and 5. He says, John to the churches... Then he moves on. He says, grace to you and peace. And then in the middle of verse 4, all the way through verse 5, we see three times from, from, from. Do you think that's important? Yeah. Yeah, he's saying, look, grace and peace are great provisions to have, but you're not going to have them unless you know the provider. It's from. Not ultimately from a church, not ultimately from a pastor, not from a priest, not from any human mediator, not even the last living apostle can give you these things. It is from, from, from the ultimate provider. So let's look again at verses 4 and 5. Let's read them together in our Bible. So follow along. John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before His throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And we're going to stop right there because He moves into a doxology. That will be next week's lesson. But right here, it's all about who it's from. The whole In those two verses, the maximum space is given to our God. And let me just make this point, that much 
of American Christianity is man-centered and meeting the needs of people. When in reality, in the Bible, the emphasis is like this. It's God-centered. The best way to meet the needs of people is for you to have a God-centered life and for you to lead them into a God-centered life. Are you with me? You say, well, I don't, you know, I'm not that educated. That's okay. You can know God. You say, well, I don't know, always know what to do. That's all right. He does. So you be God-centered and lead people to be God-centered. The bottom line is this. You'll never max out your spiritual provisions apart from a relationship with the ultimate provider. Money can't buy you grace and peace. You can't provide grace and peace for the people you love. So much of the friction in families is trying to do for others what only God can do. All right? Only God can produce and provide what you need in the living in these last days. All right? So, who's the ultimate source and ultimate provider? In one word, you would say it's who? It's God, right? But we have the great three-in-one God. So let's break this down just like John does. Here's who we want to look. What is this God like? And can he be trusted as we're increasingly persecuted? Well, let's check it out. First of all, know your provider, the eternal father. The eternal father. That's the first. The eternal father. And I think that's the focus of this phrase to describe him. So look at the phrase. From him who is and who was and who is to come. That's not describing three persons. It's describing the first person of the Trinity, the eternal Father. The study of Revelation ought to begin and end with God. Not the Antichrist, not chronologies, not, you know, when is this going to happen? When's the tribulation? It should begin and end with God. But there are at least four unique things I want you to see about this phrase. Who is, who was, and who is to come. The first is this. It's written like a proper name. It's written like a proper name. Uh, Don't raise your hand, but think about this. When's the last time you addressed God in prayer as the one who is, who was, and is to come? Well, I want you to know you can do that. In fact, I would encourage you to do that. Take this lesson and move it into your prayer life. This is written in the original letter. John wrote this like this is God's proper name. I'm not going to give you all the reasons why that's true. It's just written. It's really a paraphrase of God's name that he revealed to Moses in Exodus 3. The great divine name is I am who I am. Or another way of translating that, I will be who I will be. And this is merely an expansion and a paraphrase of that. So you can address God. God, when you address Him in prayer, God, you're the God who is right now, who was, and who will be. I think it will change your perspective on prayer. Number two, the focus, though, is on His eternal, unchanging nature. His eternal unchanging nature. John Knox, the reformer from Scotland, translated this phrase this way, from him who is and ever was and is still to come. Him who is, who ever was in the past and is still to come. All of time 
Now, okay, okay, this is a little philosophical. This is good theology, but this is going to warp your brain. Did everybody have coffee and donuts? Are we okay? All right. All of time is embraced within God's eternal presence. That's what it's saying. So think about it this way. Here's God, and he all, you know, He's eternal, right? So He has no beginning and no end. And yet within His eternal presence, there is the past, the present, and what? The future. Wow. Okay. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. It's his hunt, and, and guess what? Who he was back here in eternity past is who he still is for you in the present. And who he was in the past, according to the Bible, he's still that, and that's who he's always going to be. He can be trusted in times of crisis because he's unchanging. Think about it this way. He knows the past better than we do because he knew it before it ever happened. Right? He knows the present like we never can because he's present everywhere at once. What's going on in the world today? I'll check the news. No, check the one who is everywhere all the time. He knows he's the only one who has the ability to reveal the future and not only reveal it, but guarantee that what he says is going to happen will actually happen. Pretty cool. His unchanging nature. One Bible uh, student put it this way, In the terrible days in which he was writing, John stayed his heart on the changelessness of God. I would encourage you, whatever you're going through right now, to stay your heart on this truth. Amen? Third unique thing. The order puts the stress on God being with us in our present tribulations and persecutions. The stress is on the present. Now, how do we write past, present, future? Isn't this the order we usually, you know, the logical order is past, present, future. But how does John do this? John moves the present up into the first place. And he says, the God who is and was and is to come. The focus is what you're going through now God is aware of, and He's with you. Because let's face it, if you're like me, when you're in tribulation, first of all, I don't care about any of you, because I'm in tribulation. Just, right? And I don't really care about what happened in the past, and I don't really care what's happened in the future, because right now, I don't think I can get through this. And the good news is, the God of the past and the future is present with you right now. Isn't that encouraging? And you know what? If that's not encouraging, then there's something with your spiritual doodad. Because that ought to excite God's people. When you got a spiritual doodad. By the way, 28 years with my wife yesterday, and we spent it cleaning the church. Yeah, yeah. And she spent it longer than I did. I went... I mean, I, I, Todd, I was so tired. I, I was so tired. I could, I, I, I undressed. And I, I want too much information. I realize, undressed to shower, and I just went to bed. I just didn't even, I didn't even shower. I, I'm just like, God, help me. And I remember when we were working. I'm watching Todd and Bill Bowman. I'm thinking, man, is there a, you know, Dane's not here. He's a, he's a medical dude. I mean, so people look like they're gonna. 
Anyway, it was hard, wasn't it? That was hard work. Anyway, I don't even know how I got on that. Except 28 years, so I'm excited with my wife. And we couldn't have been happier uh, celebrating that doing with our daughter cleaning the church because that's what our lives are about. So I don't know what that had to do with anything, but it happened. Now, the order is on the present. So listen. So he says, look, I'm with you in the present. But understand that when I'm with you in the present, I'm the same God from Genesis to the New Testament. You know, who I was for David, who I was for Moses, who I was for Israel when they sinned, when David, when he sinned, the mountaintops, the valleys, who I was against Goliath, all that, I'm with you now. And what I have promised to do in the future and can do, I'm the same God that can change your present. Amen? That's just good stuff. Good stuff. All right. The order is the present. Now, let me say the fourth unique thing is the ending highlights the future presence of this God. The ending highlights the future presence. Now, in most of our Bibles, it's played the God who is, right, for the present, and the God who was for the past, and the God who will be, which makes sense. You know, those are, those are our tenses. But literally, the focus is the God who is yet to come. Or who is, I'm sorry, the God who is coming. Oh, oh, okay, you got your, is your spiritual doodad in place? Here's what's going to happen. The God who will be and who is coming or who is yet to come. And the idea is the future is already coming into the present. Is that not cool? This God that we're anticipating is in the process of coming. And we ought to be saying, according to the end of Revelation, even so, come. Get on your horse. Your white horse. Let's come. He's coming. He's in the process of... Isn't this beautiful? And you know what? You can bring it right down to your own level of persecution, your own level of trial. As you wait, and I've experienced this, and I know this to be true, you wait for God to deliver, and He seems like He's what? Delaying, right? And you think He's not coming. But you need to remember, He is the God who is coming. Your deliverance is on the way. Be faithful. Wait for the God who is, who was, and who is yet to come. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful stuff. Well, the beautiful thing is this. This is the God who gives us grace and peace. This is the God who is giving you grace and peace, who has always been providing grace and peace, and who is providing more grace and peace, but you need to be faithful And you need to trust Him and wait on Him. Now, who's described this way in the book of Revelation? Well, I gave you four more times in the book of Revelation where this phrase is used. And I can't, I can't, uh, I can't spend time here, but it's four more times. The first time, the, the next time it's used, and you see the references there in your notes, it's linked with the phrase Almighty. And that's good news. This God who is, who was, is God Almighty. He's a mountain mover. The second time it's used, it's emphasizing He is the Holy One. Holy, holy, holy. 
That's good to remember. But you know what's exciting? The third and fourth time it's used in the book of Revelation, this is no longer used because you've made it to the point in Revelation where He is coming. So they say, the God who is, who was, and we thank you that you have taken the worlds and begun to reign. In other words, you've come. So it's no longer a future aspect, it's a, it's a reality. And someday we're going we're gonna to address that. The future will be now. So I thought that was, you trace it through. Now, the ultimate provider, though, is a trinity. And you won't know the Father without knowing the empowering spirit. The empowering, <laughs> empowering spirit. See, if I squiggle it enough, you don't even know if I'm spelling it right. The empowering spirit. Because it's not only from the eternal God, but it's from, notice in your text, it's from the seven spirits who are before His throne. So here's real quickly what we have to do. First of all, the obvious question is, how many spirits of God are there, right? I mean, typically, what do we think? One, the... Holy Spirit. But here, He's not called the Holy He's called the seven spirits of God. So let me give you why is the Holy Spirit described as seven spirits. Number one, it symbolizes divine fullness, the divine completion. Why? Because seven is the number of perfection and fullness, completeness. Everything there is about God is fully found in the Holy Spirit. He's not a power, He's a person. He's fully God. The divine fullness. And I think John has in his mind Isaiah 11.2, and it says this, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on Him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. In Isaiah 11.2, there are seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit listed. And I don't know about you, but the greatest temptation I have in, when, I'm under, when I'm suffering or I think about future persecution, my, first, my greatest question is, am I going to submit to the Lordship of Christ? And guess what? The Spirit will empower you to do that. Okay. Second thing about suffering is you need to have wisdom. The big question is, what do I do? It's all, you know, uh, the pressure is so great and the suffering is so great. I don't know what to do. Well, guess what? The wisdom of the Lord is from the Spirit. Understanding. Well, I know what the Bible says, but I don't understand how to put it into action. The understanding of the Lord. The counsel of the Lord. The greatest counselor you can ever have is God's Word and God's Spirit applying God's Word to your situation. The power of the Lord, the knowledge of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. So, Seven spirits is not saying they're seven individual spirits. It's saying the one spirit has all of God's resources. Okay? Number two, it symbolizes the divine function of the Holy Spirit. The seven spirits symbolizes the divine function of the Holy Spirit. And the function of the Holy Spirit is the presence and power of God on earth through His Son and for His people. The purpose of God's Spirit is to make God presence and power a reality in your life and on this earth. And I think um, 
what John has in mind is Zechariah 4.6. You'll, you'll be familiar. I'll start this out and you'll know. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The idea of the seven spirits of God is that God is going to fulfill everything in the book of Revelation. It doesn't depend on us. That takes the pressure off of us, right? Because when I think of being faithful in persecution, my first thing is, I don't have it in me. Well, guess what? The pressure's off. He is the power. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by how smart you are. It's not by how rich you are. It's not by how hard you try. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. Amen? Well, this phrase, the seven spirits of God, I have references there for you. It's, it's used four different times in the book of Revelation. I wish, I, I just don't have the time. I gave them to you. It's a beautiful thing. You know where the seven spirits are found? Before the throne of God. Because why? Because they're taking God's rule and making it reality. God's rule happens through God's spirit. The next time you see the seven spirits of God is in Revelation 3.1, and the risen Christ has the seven spirits. Why? Because God's rule is done through the spirit through his son. The next time, Revelation 4, 5, you see the seven spirits. They're symbolized as seven lamps of fire burning before the throne of God. Why? Because the Spirit reveals God's Word to God's people as a light shining in the darkness. The fourth and final time you have them is in Revelation 5. And John says, I saw between the throne... And the elders, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Whoa. God's spirit, the seven spirits of God, the fullness of God's glory, the fullness of God's presence is at work around this planet through his son on behalf of of the redeemed people for whom the Lamb of God was slain. He's at work in North Korea. He's at work in Europe. He's at work among the unreached. This 30 days of Ramadan, the seven spirit of God, the fullness of God is at work redeeming Muslim people through your prayers, if you are praying. Cool. Wow. Okay, what does the Spirit do in the book of Revelation? I wrote these out because I knew I wouldn't have time. But here is every other reference. Because here's the thing. We're done with... The, okay, we've, I've, to, I've been talking about the seven, seven spirits of God. But in the rest of the book of Revelation, it's simply the Spirit. And I've given to you every reference in what the Spirit does in the book of Revelation. Notice... Everything that John sees is by the Spirit. The Spirit takes him to heaven. The Spirit shows him the tribulation. The Spirit takes him to a high mountain and he sees the new Jerusalem. It's all by the Spirit. Number two, it empowers God's people to hear the book of Revelation and hold on to the promises, the spirit of prophecy. So it enables John to tell us 
and write this book, but it also enables you to hold on to the promises of this book. Three, it empowers God's people to hear what Jesus is saying to the local churches. One of the most important aspects of the Spirit in the book of Revelation is seven times in Revelation 2 through 3, it says, He who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Right now, the Spirit is speaking to us. Right now, every time the Word is preached, and taught, the Spirit is speaking to us. And then number four, it empowers God's people to faithfully witness about His coming. This is what's really radical. You get to the end of the book of Revelation, and the Spirit has shown John these things, the Spirit has taught us these things, but at the end of the day, the book of Revelation ends with the Spirit and the bride saying, Come. And then it also says, Come all you who are thirsty and drink of the river of life. The saddest thing is for Bible believers to study prophecy and miss that the application is we are to be empowered by the Spirit to witness to lost people about the coming of Jesus Christ. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Wow. Third, and this is where the emphasis is. The third emphasis is on the exalted Son. Ah, use wrong code. Exalted Son. Because here's the deal. You'll never know the eternal, unchanging God and the empowering presence of the Spirit apart from having a relationship with His exalted Son. See the progress? Okay. And notice, Jesus, there's three persons in the Trinity that are addressed, but Jesus gets... I need somebody up here organizing my pens while I talk. There's three characteristics because it's all about Him. Are you with me? And here they are. Here they are. Grace and peace will never be fully maximized in your life apart from the knowing the unchanging God through His empowering Spirit, but it's through the exaltation of Jesus Christ. So here it is. Notice it says, He's the faithful witness. The Son is exalted because He, He is the faithful witness. Jesus is the one who came to earth and faithfully revealed who God was and what God wanted to do. Not Buddha, not Muhammad, not your pastor, not the Pope, not a priest. The one who we must listen to and who has been faithful to accurately and completely reveal all that this... Un I mean, remember, this is this unchanging God. How in the world are we ever going to know Him? Because Jesus came. Fully God, fully man, and He was a faithful witness. And He said, all that I have said, I only speak what the Father has told me to say. If you know me, you know the Father. And if you know the Father, you must know me. Now... Witness, the word for witness there, the, sad, the, the, the problem is witnessing gets you into trouble. 
And the word for witness is the same word for martyr. And where did Jesus' faithful witness lead him to? To the cross. He was faithful unto what? Death. Okay. And it's interesting that repeatedly in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, chapter 11, chapter 17, it's not just Jesus who's supposed to be faithful unto death. Guess who else is? We are. We are. So why does Jesus give us grace and peace in our lives? I have this question in your notes. Why does Jesus give us grace and peace? It's so we can be a faithful witness to others. See, again, I I hope I'm communicating this. Uh, I'm, I'm doing the best that I can humanly. We tend to take all of God's blessings and think, therefore, me, 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 and my loved ones. By the way, because I don't want to be selfish. But it's, it's my loved ones, the people I care about. And the reality is this. Jesus Christ has given you grace and peace so that you can be a faithful witness of that to lost people who need grace and have no peace. You say, but that made me get me in trouble. Exactly. It got Jesus in trouble. How many of you this week saw on Facebook, there is some redeeming value on Facebook because I do learn some things. How many of you saw the nominee, President Trump, nominated a Wheaton College, Christian College, Wheaton College grad for a job? I don't know what one. How many, did anybody see that? And Senator Bernie Sanders went after him because the ACLU found a quote by this Bible-believing, apparently godly man, who said that Jesus is the only way for salvation. Sanders took that quote and beat him with it, judged him with it, condemned him with it, and repeatedly harassed him with it. And it's, I'll, I'll, put it, I'll put it up and, and, and you'll be able to see it on our, on our Facebook page because the, the, the thing is not the politics of it. The point is all believers who stand for Jesus are going to be persecuted. And he said, this man's unworthy for this nomination. He used a religious test which isn't supposed to happen under our Constitution. But the bigger point is to see this man, I am a Christian, and this is what I believe. I am a Christian. This is what I believe. Sir, I am a Christian. This is what I believe. Also this week, powerful story about a young lady who's on the national team, was on the national soccer team, the national U.S. soccer team which our national U.S. soccer team decided that every player was going to wear a rainbow jersey because it's Gay Pride Month. And this young lady, who's a believer, a Christ follower, said that doesn't represent my values. It isn't biblical and it isn't moral in God's sight. And I'm not going to represent that myself. You guys are fine to do what you need to do. I'm not going to do that. Consequently, I stepped down from the team. Now, I don't know this gal's story, but I know to get to the national team requires a lot of practice, a lot of sacrifice, and a lot of investment. And to make that team and say, well, you know, just wear it. Just wear it. She said, no, I can't do that. Step down. 
watching these two individuals just filled my soul with encouragement. Humbling, because ultimately you can't applaud for others. You need to say, if I was that guy and the senator was hitting me publicly, if I was that young lady and I had those choices, what would I do? What would I do? But the reality is, the exalted son, who is the faithful witness, poured out grace and peace on these two individuals this week. And we ought to rejoice in that, amen? And take comfort that we too can be those kind of faithful witness because those are not going to be unusual in the future. That's going to become the norm. Number two. You say, yeah, but if witness means martyr and Jesus was faithful unto death, that sounds scary. Number two, Jesus is exalted as the first one who is risen from the dead to rule from heaven. The good news is this. When they've done their worst, you'll rise again. Good news. He was faithful unto death because he knew on the other side of death was the resurrection. And it says... He is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. What does that mean? In the Bible, firstborn means priority. Who got the inheritance? Who got the authority? Sorry, Todd. Who got that? It was the firstborn, right? Well, here's the good news. We can all be firstborns if we identify with Jesus Christ. He's the firstborn of the dead, which means he was the first to rise. And because he's the first to rise from the dead and reverse death... He is the ruler over death. And if you're the ruler over death, then what else are you the ruler over? What? Life and everything. Right? When you conquer death, you have conquered everything. You've conquered disease. Why? Disease leads to death. You've conquered life. You have life, but life covers everything. He is the ruler over everything. So, look at the question here. Why can we have grace and peace despite our circumstances? Because Jesus has overcome our ultimate enemy. Now, the thing I'm still fearful, I'm not, I'm, I don't know, Woody Allen, I think, said this or something. Uh, it's not death I'm afraid of, it's the process, right? You know, something like that. I'm misquoting him, but, you know, it's the torture that I'm like, God, I need grace. But you know what? If he helped Christ on the cross through the most excruciating torture and took him all the way up to death to where he was faithful, he can do the same thing for us. Listen, he gave us grace and reason we can have grace and peace. I don't know what you're going through this morning. I don't know. Most of us, our temptations to witness are not on the level of this nominee and this soccer player. Most of our temptations to be an unfaithful witness is apathy, laziness, or to be honest, you know, just fear of losing a friend, fear of losing a job. But the reality is this. God's given us grace and peace even in those circumstances, and we can overcome. And then number three is this. The third way that Jesus is exalted is, is the future one who will return to rule 
over the kings of the earth. So we've really got the whole, the whole, he, he's, he's the faithful witness, right? And what part of his life does that encompass? The incarnation, right? And then he's the firstborn of the dead. And he's risen and reigning in heaven, right? So that's his resurrection and his seated seated in heaven right now. Then he's the future ruler over all. When's that going to happen? Over the kings, well, well, let me put, over the kings of the, what's the text say? Huh? Earth. So where is he now? Where is he ruling from now? Heaven. He was on earth and he was a faithful witness, right? In the incarnation. Then he rose from the dead, he's seated, he's ruling in heaven. This last aspect He's already the firstborn of the dead. He's already the ruler over all things, but he's not yet ruler over the kings of the earth, which is evident. But someday he's going to be. Remember, this is the God who is, who was. Well, Jesus is that same God. And you know what's interesting? Everything the devil promised him at the beginning of his his ministry in the wilderness, everything the, the devil promised him, all the... All the kingdoms of the earth, if he would just bow to him, he was the faithful witness unto death. And now all the devil promised him, God gave him because he was obedient to the point of death. He was rewarded with resurrection. So, what's it say in your notes? Why can we have grace and peace? Because we know who holds the future and we know the one who's going to win in the end. He's going to know the one who's going to win in the end, without going into all the details, I have a pastor friend here in Independence who is being a faithful witness, being a faithful witness. And I hate to say this because it's a it's a it's a shame. Another professing Christian threatened this man with bodily injury and cussed him out, a professing believer, because he was a faithful witness. And you know what this man, this pastor said to this this other Christian that did that? He said. I don't fear man, I fear God. I don't fear you, I fear God. Now that is a pastor and a believer who is a faithful witness, even to the point of getting beat up, if it need be, because he knows who holds the future. I don't know about you, but this was heavy today. I realize that, but guess what? We're looking at who? God. And if I shrink it down to where it's easy for us to grasp, guess what I've done? I've shrunk God down. Okay? Our God's great and awesome. And He's the one that's giving us grace and peace. So, look at your notes. The secret to maximizing your spiritual provisions of grace and peace is to know your spiritual provider to the fullest. So, ready or not, this is the God who is coming, and He's in process of coming. Are you maximizing your spiritual provisions by knowing this God? And so, I ask you today, before we end, would you mark, yes, I'll seek to use grace and peace to the max within this church, but yes, 
I will seek to know my sovereign provider so I can be a witness outside the walls of this building. Because that's the need of the hour. All right, let's pray. Father, we come and and uh, times are, are hard. It's growing darker. Your servant Paul said we live, the end times are dangerous times. They're deadly times. And they're getting darker and they're getting more dangerous and they're getting more deadly. There's anger and hate. And ultimately, Lord, the anger is towards you because we as fallen sinners don't want to submit to your lordship. We don't want to say you are the king of the earth because that means you're the king of my life. But Lord, you've given us grace and peace by your spirit and by your son. And we've, you've enabled us to die to self and to die to that sin nature and, and submit and bend the knee to you. And you're pouring grace and peace into our lives. And we can max it out. We can get more of it. But it's meant, Lord, it's meant to be faithful in this world. We need more soccer players like this young lady. We desperately need more leaders in our country like this Christian man. Lord, I need to be a faithful witness that's obedient unto death. We all need this. So, Lord, I pray we would leave here encouraged, knowing who our ultimate provider is. Encourage each person. I don't know what they need. You do. You're the provider. Give them the grace. Give them the peace. And may our church be used of you to enable us to witness to the world outside. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be a faithful witness this week.